Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio. Smiles on faces. Another Norwich City win to bask in the glory of and certified. This is the best start to a league campaign that Norwich City have had in 21 years. 10 points from four games. They're one of 15 teams of 92 who remain unbeaten in the championship, oh well, in the in the start of their of their league campaigns, there's not 92 teams in the championship, although it may feel like it at times. Uh, and we're going to reflect on what was a thumping 4-0 victory at Huddersfield at the John Smith Stadium on Saturday. I'm your host, Connor Southwell. We're joined by Paddy Davitt and Samuel Seaman, uh, who would probably make a decent midfield duo. Whether they'd be quite as good as Kenny McLean and Gabrielle Sarah may well be up for debate. Um, Paddy, it's uh, it's been a really, really good start to to the season at what point does a good start become an incredibly impressive one for Norwich City um about a week from the end of the season I think we'll say that's going to be incredibly impressive no I mean you know it looks good it feels good uh optimism is rife and, and that always trumps pessimism as we know from the back end of last season but uh you know it is as we said last week I think when we sat down to record you know I'm just availing myself of the league table they've played four games they've got 42 is it it's a 46 game season isn't it so um but in terms of purely bringing it back round to start then for me um irrespective of what happens midweek at Bristol in the league cup if they go to Rotherham next Saturday and come away with another win um then that is that is uh, about as good as as you could be almost faultless because the only points approaching then as it would be the first international break that they would have dropped would be two at Southampton when until 95 minutes they were they were leading there and and we know the the penalty and Dimi Yanoulis and Adam Armstrong uh, and that that was the two points they would have dropped so you know conceivably it could have been an absolute full house which would be, that would be phenomenal that would but as as it stands you know you given, I think, where we were before a ball was kicked against Hull and the sense that we're in a bit of a holding pattern for a lot of people, I, I, I felt, because it was so poor at the back end of last season, to go from that to this, that is incredible in its own right. But uh, but in terms of starts, then, yeah, if, if you if you if if we're recording next Sunday post-Rotherham and we're reflecting on another win in the Championship, then I think we have, by common consent, that would have to go down as an incredible start because it comes out of a pretty incredibly disappointing end to last season and and to turn it around in fairly abbreviated fashion, albeit with a transfer window and some astute business um, and a pre-season for David and his coaching staff to, to embed, really embed what they're trying to do with, with and without the ball. You, you can't dispute it. You cannot dispute that right now this, this is probably verging into the wildest dreams of most Norwich fans' territory. I don't think I don't think even the most ultra optimistic Norwich fan would have thought four games in, they're sat on ten points, given the struggles to score goals. I mean there's one stat above all which which stands out and would smack me between the eyes, and that is now they've gone to two away grounds in the championship. They've scored eight goals. Eight goals in two championship away games is well, it's ridiculous output, let's be honest, and particularly given that their struggles to score at home and away last season towards the end of the season. So props to, to Wagner, his coaching team, those players and everybody else connected to Norwich City. They are delivering and then some, and uh, and it's great to see. 
Yeah, and some statistics for you. I mentioned it uh, in the intro there. This is the best Norwich City season, a start to a season, obviously within four games, four league games, that is, uh, since the 2002 free season when they also took 10 points from 12. Uh, Nigel Worthington was in charge. It, that was they, they started with a 4 0 win at Grimsby, 1 1 draw at Rotherham, 2 0 win over Brighton, and a 1 0 victory over Gillingham. Paul McVeigh uh, scored four goals in the first four games, although not quite John Rowe levels because he in that, he didn't score in that in that Rotherham game uh, and they actually went on to uh six before they eventually were, were beaten by Sheffield United in the first part of September 3-2 at Carrow Road so um it's not unprecedented it has been done before and if you want a word of warning as maybe how good starts don't always translate into good finishes in that league season, they ended up finish, finishing eighth. So, uh, and that was outside of the playoffs in the old Division One. And that was actually below Ipswich Town as well, who finished in seventh. So, it goes to show that good starts don't always equate to good seasons. But my goodness me, for all of the context that we've spoken about at length on this show and various shows, it was so desperately needed. And, and you mentioned the goals there, Paddy. I mean, this this away record uh, under David Wagner really is, is pretty incredible. Um, uh, the the last time they went back to back games scoring four goals was his first two away games in charge Preston and Coventry uh, they won both of those games and looked very impressive in in the making but it, it, he's only lost three away games as Norwich City boss one of those being Bristol City which we'll come back to later uh, West Brom and obviously the the implosion at Middlesbrough towards the back end of the campaign so Norwich have actually since he's been appointed enjoyed a very very good record on the road it was at Carrow Road towards the latter stages of of last season where that, that issue arrived and the one stat that I did want to mention, Sam, to, to bring it full circle, is that they are now the championship's top scorers. I mean, it's it's a remarkable start and it's been maybe crucially, most important of all, a really, really fun start for, for Norwich City supporters. Yeah, and it's not really the sort of performance we expected based on pre-season. I know their summer was based mainly around keeping clean sheets, tight games. And at one stage, I thought... This is going to be a season of fine margins, maybe of difficult watches at times. But every game that Norwich have played, they've been entertaining to watch. They've been fluid in possession. And it's a number of things that I don't think Norwich fans were ever expecting to associate with David Wagner based on the end of last season. But they're impressing in all the elements that I think I was worried about. They've had some players who have really stepped up in those areas. And I think there were maybe inconsistencies last season that we we were talking about as areas Norwich's, Norwich need, needed to improve on. And Gabriel Sarra, I think, has stepped up an, another level even from last season when he was arguably their best player, obviously won the player of the season. Jonathan Rowe is somebody who stepped up in those creative and wide areas when we said they needed one of those. And the strikers, to be fair, um, for a trio who haven't necessarily scored a good or an exciting number of goals throughout their career have really lit it up at the start of the season. So I think the main concern would be whether they can keep that up. There are a lot of elements that feel like outliers at the moment. And as much as that is a positive and Norwich have managed to improve on areas where we said they needed to, uh, I think it's going to be a challenge now for Wagner and for his players to continue to um, stand out in areas that maybe they haven't previously um, I think it will be interesting to see how Wagner now develops his philosophy because throughout his career he's been a, a head coach that's been based mainly on 
getting tight wins and solidity at the back, it must be quite a different scenario for him now that all of his informed players and most talented players appear to be in those offensive areas. But I think he's adapted his his style of play and his ideas really, really well to suit this group. And they seem to be fitting together really well. So my only concern would be whether they can continue to almost be outliers um, and whether this is just a sort of freak period because it's not exactly what we were told to expect really um, going into the season. But, you know, I don't see them slowing down unless this Josh Sargent injury really has much of a significant impact on how they tactically set up. And um, I think as a player, there's no doubt in the fact that Adam Eder coming in is is going to struggle to fill Sargent's boots. Um, I think just based purely on their attributes, that's hard to disagree with, but it's whether the system fails too much. I think if tactically that forces them into a lot of changes, then that could be the um, the problem that they face and possibly, hopefully not, the hump that they can't get over. But um, yeah, for now, I've been, <laughs> I've been quite negative there and talked about what, how it might come apart. But for now, um, Norwich fans will just be basking in the glory of how it started. And, you know, as Paddy said, it's still 42 games, which feels like a lot and it is definitely more of a marathon in the championship but they seem to have the right mentality and I think this is where the experienced heads they brought in in the summer will really really help them out Uh, because you look at the likes of John Rowe and Sarah and maybe Adam Eder after the performance he put in um, yesterday and there might have been a chance of them getting carried away of thinking that things were done without too much experience of being involved in those promotions and in successful championship teams, they could be tempted to get overly excited about this. But the good thing is they've got the likes of Shane Duffy, Ashley Barnes, Jack Stacey, now Adam Forshaw, who I'm sure we're going to talk about um, later. But they have been in these promotion seasons before and they know that nothing's won at this stage. And hopefully they'll help um, guard against any complacency because if Norwich can keep playing like this, for the rest of the season, there's no doubt in my mind they'll be promoted and there aren't enough teams to to keep them out of the playoffs if they can keep um, keep playing like this. But it's still so, so long to go and it's so difficult to keep that form up um, for the whole of the season. But the fact that they've been playing well and deserving the results they've got makes it feel like it might be more sustainable. But they are outliers in a number of departments against the rest of Wagner's career. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that develops over the season. Indeed. I, I keep, I keep telling people, um, you know, and, and they say, oh, it's great. And speaking about maybe what's to come later down the line, I think at this moment in time, given everything that happened towards the back end of the season and how bad the feeling was, I think it's really important just to remind people to enjoy where Norwich City are and almost not what, because that's so far in, in the future. I think we could, we can reflect on it and we can talk about uh, as, as you did pretty well about how, various aspects of the the jigsaw puzzle may may come um uh off i guess and how it might unravel and how seasons might whatever but i think it was it was so important for all the reasons that we that we listed and it's been so lovely actually to see almost the repair of what's happened between the the fan base and the players and and whatnot and that's by no means to to say that everything's rosy again and perfect again and they're out of the woods again but i just think it's important that people have got back to enjoying it and enjoying 
going to places, be it Carrow Road, be it other grounds, and watching they're not watching a Norwich City team play football and, and perform pretty well as well. There were aspects yesterday. I know uh, a lot of people this season, and we've done it as well, have spoken about the intangible elements and uh, the chest pumping and um, and uh, Shane Duffy and Ashley Barnes and what they've added to the group. But actually, this Norwich team in, in spells and in parts are playing some really, really attractive, excellent football. Um, there were a couple of, of phases yesterday where they just kind of cut through Huddersfield with really slick passing moves and, and that's not to say that's solely what the, the game is based on they've been a little bit more direct at points as well and I think you, you see that with Fashnak's kind of hopeful ball for the first goal and, and there were a couple of moments where they went longer as well and then they try and play off second balls and uh, we spoke about the adaptability element but I think fundamentally it's just about it, it was and, and this is why a fast part of start was so important for David Wagner yes but also for those fans who had to witness a lot of dross towards the end of, of last season and and that feeling and getting that feeling back is um has been really important but you know as as you say sam there are there are hints of the fact that this could potentially be more sustainable because of their performance levels they, they went what was it eight games last season without defeat under dean smith and i think we were probably sat here on the podcast going oh, they're not playing very well and it feels like this this isn't particularly sustainable it feels slightly different um this time around and and, and paddy i mean we've mentioned the the goals and the strikers and and, and this probably will, will lead us on to a, a bit of a discussion about josh Sargent inevitably but i want to talk about all three of them really because we're we're four games into the season and and, and they've got seven goals between them and, and three assists. A breakdown of that, three goals for Josh Sargent, one assist, two goals for Ashley Barnes, one assist, two goals for Adam Eder and one assist. And given where we've been in terms of the striking discourse around Norwich City, it's been so centred around Temipuki. There was a real over-reliance on him to to score goals and produce the the, the goals to, to either keep Norwich City in the division or to try and get them out of it, uh, as was the case throughout his Norwich City career. The fact that goals have been spread between those three players in particular, you can obviously chuck John Rowe into the equation now and we will come on to him definitely later, but particularly those three strikers, giving given maybe how everyone felt maybe life could go post Temipuki. It's been a really, really good start for those three, hasn't it? Excellent. And for me, I mean, you, you reeled off the stats and stats tell us a proportion of the full story, but not the full story. I mean, Ashley Barnes didn't get an assist for that goal after half time on Saturday, but it was his ball around the corner, his awareness to release Eda, who then found Rowe. Excellent. Razor sharp incision. But that, that again is Ashley Barnes and his contributory elevation of the of these two younger players that they look different players even in a smaller sample with Ida but he does look a better player as Sargent has done with Sargent in and around them and that's not just on the pitch what we see visibly on a Tuesday or a Saturday uh, or a Sunday it's clearly around the group and what they're doing day in day out at Colney because ultimately what we see at Huddersfield what we saw at Southampton what we see at Gower Road that's just a representation and a reflection of the body of work that they're now doing at Colney every day, day in, day out, and getting those cultures right. And you, for me, the catalyst is Barnes because Sargent was there last season. Eda was there last season. They've shown what they're about, but they've also shown elements that they're raw, that they need to learn their trade, essentially, which is understandable given their age and their career profile. But in Barnes, you've got a player at the other end of the spectrum serial Premier League operator off the back of a championship title win with Burnley. He knows what it's all about. He's been there. He's got multiple T-shirts in the wardrobe. And 
David Wagner touched on this again uh, in the build-up to this game. Oh, Paddy, you've uh, you've muted there halfway through. Don't worry, it wasn't very. Yeah, you were getting so passionate about Ashley Barnes, you've you've managed to I don't know, you know smack. What it is? The, you know what the it is? There's button. a mute button. I'm going to turn this around. This won't work for audio, but there's a mute button there. I think I probably just touched that with my chin. So that's probably uh, that's probably a lesson to not stand, sit so close to the microphone. But uh, I don't know where I dropped out. But I mean, basically, for me. It's not so much Barnes on the pitch, it's Barnes off the pitch. And David Wagner touched on this, um, I think it was in the run-up to the Huddersfield game, that he knows when to have a joke and, and clown around, but he also knows when to get serious. And, you know, if I'm Josh Sargent, if I'm Adam Eder, if I'm any of the younger strikers in and around watching him, observing him, how could you not learn and, and add elements to your game? Um, and as a result, you know, the proof is in in the goals and the assists and... Uh, you know, because he's the only, if you look at it, if you break it down, what's the difference between those three this season and last season in terms of Norwich? Well, the difference is Ashley Barnes wasn't there. So, you know, you have to give him huge credit that he has in a relatively abbreviated period of time had such a talismanic impact on two young strikers. And and it was also telling for me, just bringing it completely back to Saturday's game, that when Sargent went off very early on, and OK, Norwich are 1-0 to the good, he stepped up, it felt, for me, another level in that leadership. And, and you know, he's, he's not the eye-catching score in the penalty, having a, a part in that third goal, but it was his play in and around those elements and almost that he knew he had to maybe take on a little bit more responsibility in Sargent's absence and, and, and guide Adam Eder a little bit as well. And, um, you know, it's probably not not too too much of a stretch to say that he he is the catalyst. I, I know Duffy was good again uh, yesterday, and you know Stacey has shown what he's about. Fastnacked with each passing game, mm-hmm. looks a very astute piece of business. We've still got science to drop into the mix now, Adam for sure. But really, I think if you and you know it's telling who was the first signing that both Weber and and, and Wagner targeted. It was Ashley Barnes, so they they knew what they were trying to achieve by bringing him into the building and um, and boy has he delivered so far and uh, you know the only concern because at the back of your mind is still the thing that was there at the front of a lot of people's minds he's 33 you know can he maintain this physically the the endurance race that is the championship can he continue to go to the well because he I don't think he's at this stage a player who, who would be be able to be kept in reserve and brought on and maybe play in the last 15, 20 minutes of games and see them over the line. He is very much front and centre and needs to remain front and centre for the foreseeable. Um, and that's the only thing that I, I have a doubt about is that, you know, he didn't play a huge amount of minutes for Burnley, it's fair to say, last season. He might have to this season for Norwich. But um, that aside, you know, I'm sure if, if we were able to bring Adam and Josh into this record studio now and, and talk to us about Ashley Barnes, then they would they would eulogise about him, wouldn't they? Because, you know, clearly we see it from one perspective, but they're, you know, they're living it with him in the group. And, uh, you know, it's just, we'll all wait and see. We're in a holding pattern now with Josh Sargent and the extent of his ankle injury. But uh, if it wasn't to be great news in terms of the medium term and, and the length of layoff, at least if Barnes is there, you know, I think they navigate it in a better fashion than, you know, if if it was if it was the mix of strikers they'd had last season for argument's sake, because we all know as great as he was, Timo, 
it was on the decline at Norwich, and uh, I, I, I have far more confidence that they can handle the, the, the uh, omission of Josh Sargent for any length of time with Ashley Barnes, A, in the building, but B, doing what he's doing at the moment. Yeah, he's, he's he's been fantastic. I thought he was fantastic on Saturday. Probably the the standout man for for me. Like you say, I know he scored from the spot kick, um, from the spot kick. But everything that he did, um, everything there was a spell in the first half where he dropped deep, and for ten or fifteen minutes, everything Norwich were doing seemed to centre in in around getting the ball to Ashley Barnes and playing off him. He provides a real focal point. And then obviously all of the stuff that's that's been mentioned in terms of the intangibles and the mentality and and the encouragement and the housery and and, and all of those elements that that he brings to a team. He's um he, he's he's really surprised me in the best way. I've really enjoyed watching him a lot more than than I probably thought I, I would. And look, to be fair, Burnley fans told Norwich that this would be the way. This is what he would bring. If you speak to any of them, they wouldn't be surprised by the impact that he's had at Norwich City. And you mentioned. The impact that he's had on on, on Josh Sargent and Adam Eder. Well, I spoke to Adam Eder um, at the John Smith Stadium yesterday. I spoke to Josh Sargent. I think after the Olympiacos game, you mentioned the words Ashley Barnes to them, and instantly a smile comes onto onto their face. Um, such is the impact that he's having. I think he's led kind of striker meetings where they're they're watching footage not just of their own games but of other strikers of um, of players in the Norwich team to know what service into them looks like. He's he's bringing a level of detail to it as well. And for all of those elements that Ashley Barnes has been credited with, Sam, I think it shouldn't pass anyone by how excellent a footballer he is. Anyone who thought he was just going to come in, throw a few elbows around and win a few headers, I think have, have been proven well, have been proven wrong, quite frankly. Technically, there is a, a real base to his game, which is um, which has been superb to watch in the last few weeks. Yeah, I think I was a bit like you when he arrived, really. I thought there maybe was a bit of negligence regarding the importance of technical ability in a team. And I was a little bit worried that Norwich were maybe going down a route of the same route that a lot of teams have when they've struggled to get promoted from the championship. And they've seen that as their target in just going after experience and trying to improve the dressing room and get those players that maybe contribute to the atmosphere more than they do on the pitch. And plenty of teams have, have got that wrong. Um, just to make myself feel a little bit better about my own concerns at the time. Um, but I think Wagner said it himself a, a few times, actually, when he's asked about that leadership, every time he caveats it with, yeah, the leadership's great, but if they aren't good on the pitch, then it's pretty useless. And um, I think you can say that of all the leaders that Norwich have, have brought in, especially Duffy and Barnes. I know it took Duffy some time to really adapt to the championship after a couple of years where he didn't play many games at all, but I'd say he's put in two or three excellent performances in a row now. And I'd put Barnes in that category as well. As you said, he's much, much more of a creator than I think the average football fan believes that he is. And he was dropping so deep, taking the ball off the back four, playing a really important role against the Huddersfield side that is so so committed to the man marking system that when you have somebody like Barnes who a lot of teams will see as a very advanced striker and a typical English striker that will be right at the top end of the pitch when Barnes then says okay if you're going to man mark I'm going to drag you all the way back into the um you know into my own half then you have players out of position and uncomfortable and I think tactically he's much more intelligent than maybe he gets credit for as well as having the technical ability and he will help Norwich unlock a lot of the problems that they'll face this season. We've already seen a couple of times teams 
come and sit in a mid or low block and try and prevent those balls through and try and prevent Norwich playing through the lines, I think that'll only increase as the season goes on, especially if they continue to perform in the way that they have. More and more teams, as they do against successful championship teams, will just come, especially to Carrow Road, and just sit back. And I think Barnes, with his clever movement and intelligence and quite a good range of passing, I would suggest, can, can play that role um, for Norwich. It'll be interesting to see how that changes after the sergeant injury. Um, I know we haven't really heard the full extent of how long they expect him to be out for, but it would I would be very, very surprised if against Rotherham on Saturday, given Wagner has initially given it the serious tag, if we saw a starting um, front two that was different to Adam Eder and Ashley Barnes. It'll be interesting to see how how they adapt and how Barnes adapts his role with Ida because I think Ida suits the play a lot more when he's facing it rather than receiving the ball with his back to goal and you'd probably say Barnes is the better of the two at doing that hold-up play so maybe Ida's going to be the one that drops in and we see a different side to Barnes and we see the striker that probably Norwich fans were expecting to see when his name was announced but up until now he's surprised a lot of Norwich fans and he's probably surprised a lot of the championship as well. I imagine he's absolutely thriving because obviously he left Burnley because he didn't see himself getting much game time. I know he's spoken about the fact that they would have been open to him staying for longer, but he didn't want to just be that influence in the dressing room. He didn't just want to bring experience and we're seeing now why he felt in the summer that he was able to contribute more than just that. And I'm I'm delighted for him because I imagine he's really enjoying the trust that he's got at Norwich. He's enjoying being a star player again. Um, and that's undoubtedly, undoubtedly what he's been in the first few games. And I'm looking forward to seeing if he can reproduce it on a consistent basis. Obviously, Paddy raised the concerns about his age and whether his body would be able to take the constant Saturday-Tuesday Um and that will be an interesting one to observe. But based on the early evidence, yeah, he's bringing so much that, that Norwich needed last season. And he looks like a, a really, really clever sign in this summer. I'll let you lads raise those concerns about his age with him and I'll, and, and you let me know how you get on with that. Uh, I, I don't I don't necessarily see as much of a, an issue of that. I know he turns 30, 34 later this year, but he's still super fit. I wouldn't say it's a game that's completely reliant on uh, sprinting all over the place. He's quite intelligent with, with how he puts himself about. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's, it's clearly one that, that everyone is, is acutely aware of and I'm sure the performance team will be monitoring pretty closely um, as uh, as well. Two moments I've enjoyed. Uh, we, we didn't really touch upon this last week, but I don't know if you've seen the video of him at the end of the Millwall game where he shakes hands. I think he's shaking hands with a Millwall player, but he seems to shake his hands and shove him in the chest at the same time. I don't know if you've seen that, but that's uh, that's very good. And also uh, after John Rowe's goal, when all of the players had, uh, had all of the Norwich players had gone from celebrating back into their own half, he basically walked back with John Rowe and uh, appeared to be basically shouting at him uh, throughout the, the, the whole way. Um, I think basically telling him to, you know, keep his feet on the floor to keep going. It was, um, it was a good bit of, of, of leadership. So yeah, the technical qualities, absolutely. The mental qualities as well. Been very impressed with Ashley Barnes. Hopefully he can, he can keep it up. And I guess this is a, a nice segue into the Josh Sargent injury debate then. Um, obviously it looks, I, I watched the footage of it initially and, and it looks a nasty one because of the way that he's, his ankles kind of given way, kind of lands on it and it slips and it's, yeah, it's horrible. I, I guess you'll feel with that type of, 
a fall and impact that it, that it could be ligament damage. And obviously the extent of ligament damage can keep you out from anywhere between a few weeks to, to many, many months, depending on how severe it is. We saw him emerge at the end of the game. He had a protective boot on. That is fairly sort of standard. James Madison wore one last week for Tottenham and he was playing the next weekend. So you can never read too much into that. Um, David Wagner also described Tony Springett's injury as serious after QPR and then he was absolutely fine for the next, maybe not the next matchday squad, but the matchday squad after. So um, they will be assessing it as we speak. I think it's fair to say there's a, a fair bit of concern about it. Adam Eder was, was, was I, I thought he, he really struggled from the period he came onto the pitch to half-time. And then once he got that assist that you say Ashley Barnes played a key role in, but to get that ball across to John Rowe, it had a quite transformative effect on him, I, I felt. And I spoke to him a, a lot about confidence and you can read those quotes at pinken.com, but it was, it was a pretty candid admission from him really that he does need an event or some confidence to really spark into the player that we all know he can be when he, have it, when he has it. And that fourth goal, I don't think I've seen him take a goal as confidently as that for a significant portion of time, just kind of watching him go through, you, you always had the feeling, almost like you did with Temu Puki when when, when he was in the, his real goal-scoring run at Norwich City, where he'd be sent through and you just thought, yeah, this is going to end up in the back of the net. It's the first time I've, I've kind of felt that with, with Adam Ida for a while when he got put through yesterday. He's clearly going to be given an opportunity in whatever the length of time that Josh Sargent remains sidelined, Paddy. I know David Wagner has said that he feels there are options in the building capable of, of filling the void. And he named Marcelino Nunez, Liam Gibbs and Shemeswav Boheta all as options maybe who can cover in, in, in the interim. But can if, if this is on the worst end of the spectrum and Norwich City are looking at a situation where Josh Sargent is going to be out for months rather than weeks, are they in a position to not dip their toe back into the transfer market and sign uh, another option on loan. That feels like it would have to be inevitable if, if if the injury is as bad as perhaps it's feared to be at this moment in time. Well, I mean, it's a very hypothetical strand we're going down here because it could be months, but it might not. It might be might be Boha. Well, you know, pays you money because Boha Science has been out two months and, and he was ankle ligament. So... And I think there's two well, international... Let me, let, me, let me rephrase the question then. What What is the length of time that it will need to be for Norwich City going back into the transfer market becoming an, an inevitability? Well, you're, I mean, again, it's hypothetical, isn't it? I mean, if you want to ask that to the people who matter, David Wagner yesterday was very clear that... And and although they don't have definitively an hour after the final whistle, uh, the timeline, that they must already... The, the amount of medical provision that is around that group now, they would have a fairly educated um, assessment already, I think, within an hour of the final whistle. And and he was very clear. You've referenced it, Connor. He started to list the internal options and wouldn't really give any indication that they were going to go back in the, to the uh, to the market between now and Friday. So for me, that's that's pretty definitive. Ultimately, you know, now obviously. That was pre-scans. You scan, and we'll 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 pick up the bat and and, and run with it. He's out for months. Um, then and yes, I think they probably would have to do something. But could they do something? Not from a financial standpoint, but but essentially they they had no, you know, there was no um, strand of their remaining days of the window that that included bringing in another striker. So, you know, you're probably almost standing starting from a standing start on that aspect. So. Would would they just bring in a body for 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 the sake of it? I don't I don't necessarily think they would. I think they would probably 
go with what they've got and then and then look at it again in in January because if the players between it's all right saying they need to go and get one but if there isn't one available either loan option or permanent or free agent and there doesn't look to be a huge market out there we had a quick scan of the free agent strikers on Saturday night on the way home and uh, certain Nelson Oliveira was the standout name Connor Wickham was another one but they're not going to be turning to that type of player in my opinion so it it may be that they have to go with what they've got rather rather than it's a, it's a choice you know if there if there isn't a, a loan option they can bring in um with all the attendant elements of guaranteeing game time if you if you're getting a, a top premier league level club striker option probably going to be a younger player but if you bring in a younger player then what's that saying to adamida what's that saying to you know one or two of the other younger players in the mix as well so it's a really it's i mean it's a situation you could see the concern i mean stuart where we were to to give a, an idea of where we were sat we were in pretty close proximity to the norwich directors at huddersfield and almost as soon as the final whistle sounded stuart weber was off and he wasn't going back in where the rest of the directors were heading and delia and michael and and so on he was heading straight to the tunnel area and you can guarantee the first questions he would have been asking is, how bad is this? How bad does it look? Because that's not a, a scenario he would have wanted to deal with. But, you know, that's the hand they've been dealt. And, you know, it may be that they have to get very busy and very active and, and reactivate, you know, sort of their scouting and recruitment work. But I I, I, I don't think they'll do anything. I, I just don't think that the time allows them to do anything of a substantial nature. And and if it's not going to be a substantial incoming signing, um, then would you go with a lone player or would you go with Adam Eder? Would you go with Ashley Barnes? Would you go with then? And, and the other players he talked about, clearly Gibbs, Nunes, Boeta, we're not talking in terms of a number nine. We're talking in terms of Barnes or Eder would get pushed into the nine role and they would come into the, 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 the equation in terms of the 10 or the link player. So, you know, if that's where David Wagner's head was at after the game, knowing full well that it looks serious and it's very swollen, and then I, I don't see I don't see them now U-turning and deciding they have to go and do something, even if it was a lengthy a lengthy uh, a layoff for Sergeant, because ultimately with two international windows between now and January, and the players already in the building, you might feel well, okay, let's not do something knee-jerk and reactive. Let's if we have to go again in January in terms of a striker option, then we'll go and do that. But we'll do it with a bit more consideration uh, and and obviously be able to put pieces of the jigsaw in place to uh, facilitate that. But you know, that's a very hypothetical five or ten minute discussion we've had here. Ultimately, um, I think we'll know we'll, we'll know by the time we we speak to David Wagner at Bristol on Tuesday where we where a Josh Sargent is and b because even then they'll still have three or four days left of the window to do something, whether they, they've they crystallised in terms of, no, we actually probably, now we know definitively he's out for months rather than weeks, we need to go again. But um, as we sit here, hours after the event happening, do I think they will do anything? No, between now and Friday, I don't think they will. I agree with you. I, uh, In terms of I don't think they'll do anything, but I, I think if if we do get into a situation where where we're talking about Josh Sargent being out for months, I think it becomes very difficult to go with with just those those two frontline options with the the system and how David Wagner wants to play. He said, 
back in January, which was a, a key reason as to why they, they let Jordan Hugill go, that he only wanted to carry three strikers in, in the squad. I know he technically has three, but at the moment he's, he's working with with two. There's obviously, I guess, the option of pushing a, a Tom Dixon-Peters into the into the conversation as well. So there's, there's that element, but... I would necessarily argue that he he maybe hasn't quite shown enough to to be able to to step up in in that way in the same way as maybe an Abu Kamara would have. But obviously he, he's out on loan. And I, I think again you have to weigh up. Uh, but it's worth just interjecting. Cool. There is a recall option on Kamara. David Wagner insisted yeah. on a recall option, so they do have that option. There there is. Um, but again, you kind of have to weigh up, is it worth him coming back to Norwich and not playing any football or continuing at Portsmouth for his own development and playing some football? That, that I think, is a, is a bit of a, a, a no-brainer. So um, it, it's it's difficult. I mean, what, Sam, what's, what's your view on it? Because I, I feel if it's weeks, I, I think Norwich can probably muddle through, even if it was a month, possibly even two. I think you could you could probably muddle on and, and be OK. And uh, Adam Eder has certainly shown enough, I think, along with Ashley Barnes to probably get you through and then you've got Marcelino Nunez who can who can come on later on in games and you'd have to tweak the system a bit but I think that could you, there's an argument to say that that could work maybe not to the same levels that it has done but there's an argument to say that work Borja Sainz is, is obviously going to come into it as well whether he could fulfill one of those positions remains to be seen um, two I mean what what's what's your your view particularly in that worst case scenario which I think is where where this discussion is is really at because obviously if he's out for a week or two then it's fine and Norwich can crack on but it feels like it's going to be that worst case scenario that that maybe sees them shift. In your view, if you were in Stuart Webber's chair and David Wagner's chair, would you be would you be starting a search for a, a loan addition? If it's months, then I think yes. Um, I know David Wagner has spoken about the options that they've got and the depth that they've got in his eyes, but it's probably he probably also understands that it's not in his best interests to come out and tell us post-match that he thinks Norwich are in a real muddle and he doesn't trust the players that he would be using in that role. You know, he's never going to come out and say that that more business is needed. And I don't think it's the sort of club where that's going to pay off if you try and send a message to the people responsible for those, those transfers. But I think the gap, much as it is in midfield, and this is where a lot of my worry has been around Norwich this season, much as it is in midfield, the gap between not only the the first choice two but the three and then anyone below them is quite a massive drop. Um, I went to watch the under twenty ones on Friday and I don't think there's anyone in that mix for me. Same with Kamara, um, didn't really show enough in those cameos last season to suggest that he's ready for regular um, first team or sorry championship football this season. Even if that recall option was exercised and Marcelino Nunez played that um, that sort of number 10 or advanced role in the QPR win and he did basically nothing of any note. So I'm not sure there are too many options they've really got. Obviously, Pojeta and Gibbs have been referenced as well, but I don't think Gibbs thrive from that much of an advanced position. Um, Pojeta's decision-making and tactical intelligence probably isn't good enough to play in such an important role. Um, for Norwich and in how they function at the moment. So depth-wise, I think they're in a real situation if Sargent is out for a number of months, especially when you consider it's not just as simple as, oh, well, it'll be Barnes and Eder starting up front week in, week out then. Eder isn't somebody with an especially favourable 
injury record. Um, Barnes, we spoke about his age and the the fact that he maybe wasn't starting week in, week out for Burnley um, last season. So it's not just as simple as knowing that you've got those two and maybe as maybe you need some strength substitute-wise. You wouldn't go into a season with Barnes and Eda. And if it is months, I wouldn't want to, if I was Stuart Weber and David Wagner, go into that period without one. But the loan market is such a difficult one to predict and such a difficult one to actually know who's going to be good. They brought, brought in Marquinhos last season to try and fill a gap and the gap that they had out wide. And all the signs were good. He was coming from Arsenal. He was highly rated in Brazil. He'd impressed in Europa League games and then just really couldn't produce the goods for Norwich last season. So it's a bit of a, a difficult market in an unknown quantity. Um, and the free agent market, as Paddy said, we had a little look and it wasn't an especially exciting lift, list of names that Norwich could probably get hold of on a short-term contract now. So, yeah, basically I'm, I would feel quite negative about the situation if uh, if Sargent was out for a number of months, especially given how important the system has been in their success so far. It's not just like Wagner would be willing to adapt or would want to adapt his setup or his formation or his team because that's worked so well for him and the team has been drilled day in, day out to, to work in that system. So it's definitely a major concern if Sargent is out for a number of months. There is the unknown quantity of the fact that we haven't seen um, Borja sign in that in well in any role yet and we don't know if he could be if he could be adapted to feature in that striking role the same with Fasnacht we haven't seen him in that position either and Wagner did say that he can provide cover um another time and you know I can understand why you would if you're if you're desperate for a solution would look around that squad and feel like there are options but I don't think they have any that are in the same mould as Barnes and, and Sargent. I think Ida, at least, is somebody with a, a very physical, athletic profile. And that's what I think Sargent has done so well and what's so key in his game in this Norwich system. So in that sense, at least Ida is sort of a similar player. But going from playing a certain way with Josh Sargent and Ashley Barnes up front to having Borja Sainz up there would be very, very different. And I for that reason, don't think there is the depth that Wagner was maybe keen to portray there was um, when we asked him about Sargent yesterday. So I would be tempted to go into the market, but it's not just as simple as you need a striker so you can go and get one. Replacing somebody as good at this level as Sargent with the budget that Norwich have would be very difficult. And it's not like they've sold Sargent so have anything to work with. They would have the same budget they've they've had to work with for the last few weeks and um, unless maybe we saw an Andrew and Bamadele leave the club between now um, and the end of the window, I'm not sure where those funds would come even to to fund the a loan fee or the wages of a loan player. So it would be a very, very limited market for them to go into and they're in a bit of a catch-22 in that situation. So um, without, without wishing to monger too much doom... Um, it doesn't look especially good if Sargent is out for a, an especially long time. Yeah, and, and as Paddy said, sometimes these these loans can be done with a view to a player getting X amount of, of minutes or 
or, or whatnot. And there is probably an expectation that if a player joins a club on loan that they are exposed to some And to be fair, if Norwich signed one, they probably would get a decent amount of football because of the fact that Norwich play with two strikers. They need to rotate. They're still in the, the Carabao Cup as we record. So at the moment, I guess Norwich could argue that there will, would maybe be enough opportunities to make that uh, worthwhile. But yeah, it does feel like quite a limited and quite a difficult one to, to do, particularly with the amount of time that there is left in the window. So we will see, obviously, best case scenario, Josh Sargent's injury isn't too bad and Norwich can uh, can crack on as is. And it's it's disappointing for, for Josh Sargent as well because he's made such a bright start to the season. He's, he's looked really good so far. Uh, three goals in, in, in four games probably shows that as well. Um, before we, we move on to, to Adam for sure, Pad, let's let's talk about John Rowe. It's now five in a row for, for John Rowe, um, which is truly remarkable. It's it's a new record, I believe. Well, new record since 1927 when Percy Verka, I think, scored 10 goals in seven games and got married after game six. He managed to squeeze that in as well, which is, uh, which is good. So he's got a little bit of work to do to claim the overall record, but best record post-war. I think that's uh, that's some going. I think what's what's really please me about John Rowe is, and I looked into the numbers this morning, everyone's focusing on his goals quite rightly. It's a remarkable run that he's on. What he's achieved as a 20-year-old winger, being exposed to his first real major run of games has been incredible. But actually, yesterday, um, Huddersfield, as maybe very on brand for Neil Warnock, he was fouled five times, which is more than double anyone on the pitch. Um, was was fouled. I think the, the next from, from a Norwich City perspective was Adam Eder, who was fouled twice. So it goes to show the type of treatment that he's getting. So that's that's one aspect that I wanted to highlight. And I thought his overall performance was was very good, particularly in that, that first half. But also what I really enjoy with this goal, and I think we saw it at QPR as well, that real determination, that real greediness, that real hunger to get on the end of stuff in the box. It's it's so brilliant to see that enthusiasm and that willingness to stick a head in, stick a boot in, to try and get an edge on a defender and usually pretty experienced defenders to to, to score goals. Five in five for him. Let's, let's have a quick word about just how impressive he's been at the start of this season. Well, I mean, you're running out of words to, to describe what that, that player is doing and the impact he's had. And, and you're right. I mean, to highlight, it's a striker's instinct. That's clearly what the player has. I, I don't know enough about his positional backstory uh, through the academy. Whether he has ever played in a more central position. It, I mean, it is pertinent. We've just come off the back of a discussion about what they do with Josh Sargent. Trust me, Johnny Rowe knows what it's all about inside the penalty area because that that move. If you watch it back again, and don't underestimate the role Adam Eder played. I mean, he looked up. He, he played that. He didn't play it into an area. He knew exactly what he was trying to do executing it perfectly. But John Rowe has come between two Huddersfield players. He's got the drop on two Huddersfield defenders at the near post and then instinctive finish, paces on the cross, just direct it. You know, the flip side of that is if you if you go and we've got the, the video of Neil Warnock post-match on, on the Pinkton channels now, he's raging with his two defenders. that they've, they've allowed Rowe to get in there in that position. But with it, it's not an isolated incident. Go back to the QPR header that it was from Callum Fisher, that League Cup win, 98th minute. He's on the move and he gets above a defender who's considerably taller than him and, and heads it down perfectly. There was another, I can't think of the game now, but it was a car road game and Fashnak, huge diagonal ball to the back post and, um, you know, he's climbed again. And I think, I think it was Millwall because, yeah, it was Millwall second, towards the end of the first half at Millwall. Again, he's on the move. He gets the jump on the defender. Make no mistake, that guy can operate anywhere across the front line. Physically, he's obviously not the biggest in terms of 
if you were building a certain profile of a striker. But um, in terms of the instinct to get on the end of things and anticipation, fueled with obviously the you know the confidence that um, is is off the Richter at the minute. You know, a lot of the discourse you spoke again to him after the game on Saturday at Adamida seems to be about a guy who struggles with self-confidence or self-belief. The the antidote or, or the counterpoint to that currently in this Norwich side is John Rowe, who every time he goes on that pitch must think, I will make something happen today, be it an assist, be it a goal. Don't forget as well, it was his trigger move from Dimi Yunulis' throw that brought the penalty. You know, he's enticed a very rash challenge from Matty Pearson in the box because he's on the move, because he's trying to make things happen. Um, and and David Wagner, we spoke to him pre, pre, pre-match pre uh, before the Huddersfield game. And and again, he's very keen to downplay it and talk about, you know, the journey that John Rowe's on and the elements of his game he has to work on. He flagged up the fitness aspect that every game he has played, he's had to come off, you know, midway through the second half. So there's a... In David's view, there's a there's a fitness element that he needs to work on. He needs to build himself up and become a bit more robust that he can last the games longer. But boy, oh boy, what he's doing in the time he's on the pitch, you cannot dispute. And, um, you know, I think he might have some good news at the end of the week, the way things are going with that England under-21 squad announcement. Because if you're not on the radar now in terms of the Young Lions and, and good enough in terms of your body of work in the opening weeks of the season to get in that mix, and then I'd be very surprised if there's too many ahead of him. So... And that's a testament to him. You know, he has he has come back for pre-season after a, basically a, an injury-wrecked season last season, knowing there was an opportunity. But it's one thing knowing there's an opportunity. It's another grabbing that. And now, it's the cliche, but I'm sure David Wagner, he is one of the first names on the team sheet. Um, because how could you leave John Rowe out in the form he's in? And, you know... We talked about Ashley Barnes as a catalyst, rightly, but John Rowe is a catalyst with what he's doing. Um, you know, he adds a completely different dimension to Norwich's play in the final third because, uh, to take the point Sam made earlier, against teams who are very structured and rigid in their defensive blocks, you need players like John Rowe who can play off that and can spark something that, you know, if it was a game of kind of our system against your system, it could, could easily get cancelled out. You see that all the time in the Championship. But when you've got a player with the instinctive brilliance, uh, not to overstate it, of John Rowe, um, then then you you can have a difference maker. And he is a difference maker. And you just hope that it continues in this vein. And, uh, you know, he's, he's had his fair share of injury problems and that he doesn't have anything of that to contend with. And if he doesn't, and he keeps, you know, he keeps his feet, proverbially, metaphorically on the ground, then five ga- five goals five games what could he do this season you know we could be talking about you know um a, a player who by the end of this season is sadly for norwich if if they don't get themselves into the premier league will be coveted by premier league clubs that's inevitable because uh, a young english player doing what he's doing in an attacking area of the field at a top level championship club um he will he will swiftly be on the radar as he is already i'm sure of premier league clubs and maybe foreign clubs as well so you know that's for the that's for the future, but um, for now, took his chance and continues to take it, and he is now the new darling of the fans, isn't he? They, you know, they they, they from very early on the game yesterday were singing his name and uh, and quite. You're a fan of the you're a fan of the new chant, Paddy. I don't really know. You'd have to sing it back to me, Connor. I don't. I, 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 can't, I, know I can't. I can't. No. I'm afraid. No, not, no, not with it. Not, I wouldn't repeat such language on on a show of this uh, very highbrow show as ours is. 
Okay, sorry. So, so there's actually some some should we say industrial language in the song? Is there? Okay. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. No, right. Okay, yeah. Well, we won't. It's quite catchy. That. Found myself humming it as I was walking out of the ground yesterday. There you go. There you go. So um, he's got his own new tune. He's got uh, potentially an England under twenty ones call up to, to look forward to, and he is quite rightly um, the man who everybody is talking about, and that's credit to him. But just keep it going. Try and block it out as much as you can. Um, I mean, you were at the fans forum the other day, wasn't you? The fan social club. He was on the panel there. Um, you know, you're better qualified than me because you was in the audience. But it sounded like he came across as very humble and you know very grounded. And uh, I don't think he strikes me as a guy observing from afar who's going to get carried away. Yeah, and, and Darren Eady was very quick to remind him because there was that statistic, wasn't there, that he was the first Norwich City Academy graduate to score on his debut since uh, Darren Eady. And Darren Eady was very quick to remind him that his came in the Premier League and John Rose came in the Championship. So that was uh, maybe a nice humbling moment for him. But yeah, you're right. Just like Norwich City more broadly, this for him at, the, at this moment in time is a good run of form and he needs to prove that it can be something more sustained than that, as Norwich do as well but um, it's been a, a really really good start for him and I think everyone's rooting for him you can see the type of personality that he is he's very popular around the, the dressing room he was very very popular amongst the fan base and um, yeah I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how he maybe responds to a game where he doesn't score or things don't quite go his way but at the moment he's writing his own scripts and uh, yeah it's uh, it's been pretty pretty good to watch a few honourable mentions because I know that the time is working against us I, I did want to mention a few players and I'll, I'll rattle them off very quickly Angus Gunn I thought he was excellent yesterday made two absolutely fantastic saves uh, one from a I want to say Matty Pearson header but it might have been someone else in the first half to claw that out of the, the what was essentially the, the, the top corner and then there was one in the second from Edwards who kind of weaved through it was pretty close range and he made a, a brilliant save as well. Um, likewise, Ben Gibson, I thought he, there was one moment as, as we tend to see with Ben Gibson within games, there's one little shaky moment, but I think he's been much improved this season as well and seems to be growing alongside Shane Duffy. They're, they're certainly forming a nice partnership and actually as a, a defence, I thought that, that clean sheet was really warranted. Dimi Yanoulis, likewise, pretty good as well. Gabriel Sara had a quiet game, but I don't think that's uh, that's too bad with six days left of the transfer window. I think we can let him have that one. Um, and Christian Fashnak as well, who I know we've kind of referenced throughout the podcast, but um, really understated, but such an elegant footballer, seems to kind of glide past players and he's increasingly looking like a really shrewd and, and quality addition on that right-hand side and probably unfortunate um, that he didn't get a shot on target that looks pretty goal-bound from, a, from I think it was a Stacey cross that Rowe touched onto, onto Fashnak that was blocked wise. But there was, uh, even within the Eder goal, there was another really lovely flick um, onto Adam Eder to keep that move going. So yeah, those those were all players that I wanted to give honourable mentions to. Um, in terms of the transfer market, Sam, there's obviously six days, well, no, less than that, yeah, no, yeah, six days left, Friday, um, until that closes for good. The next time we record a podcast in terms of a main show like this, we'll obviously do plenty of others uh, between now and the end of the window. It will be done and we can all breathe a massive sigh of relief, which is uh, which is good. Norwich City have moved, though. They have uh, signed Adam Forshaw uh, this weekend, which has been uh, bubbling under the surface for, for a couple of days. I think Paddy actually ran into it, not literally, but ran into him at Colney on on Thursday, so it might have been a surprise to a few people, but it wasn't massively surprising to us. Um, what, what do you make of, of, of that addition? I guess it follows a theme of Norwich City's recruitment this summer. Someone who's going to be a backup to Gabrielle Sarah and Kenny McLean probably needs a little bit of time to, to get up to match speed. But as a signing, is it one that, that you like and one that you can get behind? Yeah, I think we've uh, got to give credit to Adam Harvey for spotting him uh, before he was actually signed. Quite an interesting one. He said he was uh, 
he was milling around Coley when Adam got there before me and Paddy did. And uh, he knew somebody he recognised, but he couldn't quite put his finger on it until we obviously learned about the, the transfer. But yeah, I think it's one that fits in with the rest of the business they've done. Probably a little bit more, I don't want to call it a risk because it's a free signing. I can't imagine he's going to be on enormous wages and it's only a one-year contract with a club option to extend by a further year. So you're not risking too much, but in terms of how likely he is to succeed at the club, I'd say he's probably not up there with the likes of Duffy and Barnes, who were obviously brought in to start. He's quite clearly a backup option to Gabriel Sarah and Kenny McLean, but he's also somebody who the club feel offers them a different option to what they've already got in the building. Um, probably somebody a little bit more physical than the likes of uh, Liam Gibbs and Jakob Sorensen and just gives them a little bit more in an area where they were looking quite light and quite thin. Um, he could get some minutes on Tuesday, but I'd say we're unlikely to see him really at his full fitness for probably a good few weeks, given he hasn't had a pre-season, as, as Wagner confirmed um, post-match. It's been months since he last played in a game uh, and he has struggled with injury throughout his career. So I can't imagine they're going to want to put too much load on him early doors. So it might be a couple of months before Norwich fans really see completely what he's about, but he does give them a little bit more cover and is one of the most defensive midfielders now in that group. He's probably not your traditional Isaac Hayden, Alex Tetty or, or Oliver Skip, um, but he is slightly more defensive than probably Gibbs um, and McLean and, and Sarah. And based on his experience, you'd have to say he would, uh, he'd be a decent option to fill in throughout his career. He has struggled with injury. I think there were about two years during his time at Leeds when he didn't play a game due to a hip injury that just dragged out. And that does have a bit of a Sam Byron feel about it, but he's somebody who was, Considered by Gareth Southgate early in his tenure as, as England coach back in 2016. Um, he played a lot of games for Middlesbrough in the Premier League and for Leeds. I think he played 34 times in the top flight. So he's got some pedigree and he brings some pedigree and there's got to be a reason for that. And as I said, it is quite low risk based on the fact that it's only a one-year deal. It was um, free, but it looks like they've beat off some competition from elsewhere in the Championship. And uh, yeah, overall looks like somebody who just gives them a little bit more assurance that they're not going to be left short in that midfield department as they maybe have been um, with the forwards. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing what he can do. But it might be a while until we actually see him up to full speed in a Norwich shirt. Yeah, it's a shame he didn't sign when Daniel Farker was in charge because uh, for sure, for sure would have been uh, would have been good. Um, but he does he does fill their their scouser quota as well, having lost Kieran Dow. So that's uh, that's nice that they've replenished on on that side of things. Uh, and uh, we'll wait to see what he what he can do. However, he'll get some minutes in the cup against Bristol City on Tuesday. We will await and see. Um, let's close the show then by speaking about the absolute legend that is Westy. Uh, if you've missed this story this week, I'm not quite sure where where you've been to be honest. Um, I'll flash it up for those people looking on video now, but he's he's currently he's surpassed fifty eight thousand on his uh, fundraiser for Macmillan Macmillan Cancer Support, um, running the uh, the Tombridge Half Marathon in October. He's someone that Sam you you spoke to ahead of the, ahead of the game last week, um, ahead of the Mill game. He kind of outlined how he was going to follow the the Norwich game, which he was at Cow Road for, and also the the Lionesses World Cup final against Spain um, and it was a really excellent interview he actually got his, his prediction 
pretty much spot on, didn't he? Said Norwich win, said a John Rowe goal. He certainly got a lot closer than me and Paddy did when we did our, our pre-match predictions, which is no, of no great surprise to, to anybody, I don't think. Um, but uh, it kind of, I think as we were sat down and, and recording the podcast last week, it became pretty clear that uh, sadly a lot of the responses to that video from quite a few idiots had been um, really negative and, and stuff based on his appearance and, and whatnot and, and just really horrendous comments that nobody wants to see in any walk of life, um, particularly just around somebody who was attending a football match, doing something that he loved and and speaking about it as well and actually having the 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 guts about him to go on camera and do that. It's very difficult to to find people who who do that a lot, who are willing to do that a lot of the time. So the fact he was is a testament to to, to him and and uh, yeah, as we say, he got his his prediction bang on. He he uh, obviously as as this kind of kicked off, I think, I think Chris Reeve from from Tottenham City uh, got in touch with him and uh, quickly found out he had a fundraiser. That target initially was at five hundred pounds. Well, he's now surpassed that by there is an official target, over over eleven thousand uh, percent surpassed his target. It's it's pretty incredible what he's done. Um, Paddy, just a quick word for. Westy, an absolute legend. I think he's going to have to get an agent after all his media appearances uh, this week. But it's it's been a really nice story, and, and and I guess shows the power not just of social media but football as well. You've had a a lot of of people from lots of different clubs donating, sending nice messages to him via our channels and to him via his his fundraiser. It's, and and maybe best of all, you've had people who are making some of the comments actually apologising and donating money to what is a fantastic cause as well. Yeah, it's the best and worst of social media, isn't it? I mean, you call them idiots. They're vermin. They're vermin. They inhabit the darkest recesses of social media. They're faceless, anonymous, hiding behind profiles. If they were in a room with with him or anybody, would they come out with that? No. So I don't really want to dwell on that element of the story. But the positive element is, you know, that Westy clearly is a person full of positivity and his outlook on life is all that's good about life. And, um, and thankfully, the, the 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 epic response in a positive fashion from other like-minded individuals, both of Norwich City football persuasion, but as you rightly say, Connor, the broader football family, and it is a family. You know, it's a community that rallied around him really, and uh, you know, it is a fantastic payoff. Um, but uh, you know, it's, it's sad that in this day and age we have to we have to deal with the negative element of the story. But then that is that's the society we live in. But uh, ultimately. Um, great that Westy now uh, is the designate fan of the year because I don't know who else is going to knock him off that pedestal. So, uh, despite uh, amongst many of the laurels and accolades flowing towards him, if I if I don't see him holding up the uh, the Michelle Dack trophy, I've got that right, haven't I? Yeah. Uh, yep. come, come the end of the season, then uh, that verges on as big a travesty as where where Angus Gunn was in the top three for the Barry Butler last <laughs> season. So, uh, yeah, good on you, Westy. Good lad. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone who knocks him off that perch is, uh, is is going to achieve something pretty magnificent as well. So that's uh, that's a, a really lovely story, and we're all absolutely delighted for for Westy and uh, not somebody that we were particularly aware of before it happened, but certainly someone we're aware of now and someone who has a real zest for life. So it's been brilliant to to see the, the positive response that he's got. And thank you, obviously, to to everybody that has uh, donated on that front. I think he's had over 5,000 people donate to it. It might have increased now. Yeah, 5,362 people who've donated to that fundraiser. So thank you very much for, for doing that. That seems like an apt place to, to leave the pod. All things well in the world of Norwich City. 
everyone, well, nearly everyone knows that leagues aren't won in August. There's much more work to do for Norwich City. Uh, positive weekend for, for Daniel Farker as well. Nice to see him doing well. Uh, I don't know why the people are talking about the significance of that victory in particular, but it's always nice to see him uh, with uh, 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 doing well and, and, and recording important wins in East Anglia. And we will see you again for the very next show. See you soon.